Well, good morning, Lakeview, those here joining us, those joining through live stream, merry, merry day after Christmas. I hope everyone had a good time yesterday with family and food and fun and festivities, family, food, fun, festivities, Um, all those wonderful things related to Christmas. I'm excited to be with you guys this morning to bring the word. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to open up your Bible to Acts chapter 1. But it is, in fact, December 26th. It's the day after Christmas. And um, yesterday was a quiet Christmas around the Laitano household. This was the first Christmas in 14 years of marriage where we've not had a whole lot of people in our house. Typically, my in-laws are in our, my, are our house or my parents and my in-laws or we're at their house. There's typically 20-something people. I grew up with big family uh, um, parties at Christmas. And, and yesterday was just my wife, my kids, my brother, his wife, and my nephew. Small little gathering. But, but there was still good time to be had. Um, involved cooking, involved opening presents, involved celebrating. I'm hoping that this was your experience as well, that you still had a good Christmas, in spite the fact that it's not cold enough to be called Christmas. Uh, but hey, it's Christmas nonetheless. Um, but today is the day after Christmas, which means... That you're going to spend the rest of your afternoon after Sunday today putting Christmas back in a box. Uh, And it happens to be the ideal uh, afternoon to do that, right? Um, It's not muggy, as muggy as I thought it was going to be. It's not raining. And the saints aren't playing. So we have nothing to do on a Sunday afternoon. And so more than likely, if you're like me, you're going to get home, maybe stop by Cane's, pick up some chicken fingers, and uh, spend your afternoon, you know, collecting the uh, inflatables that you put out on, on your front yard, taking all those Christmas lights, uh, putting the Christmas tree back in the box that it belonged, and uh, making your way up the attic of your house, hoping you don't die like you did when you brought the Christmas tree down. Uh, that nice table setting that you had out, you know, that includes that, you know, family china that's been in your family for a whole bunch of time that you never put out, but you did for this Christmas celebration. You know, that's going back into that uh, container. Uh, And at the end of the day, your beautifully decorated Christmas house, which you spent uh, that entire week after Thanksgiving putting together, will be put back in a box. So this is what we do every year, right? Christmas shows up, we open a box, we take Christmas out of a box, and then December 26 rolls around and we take Christmas and we put Christmas back in a box. Well, this is the final sermon in a series around the topic of Christmas, a series on the topic of Advent. Uh, We began this uh, sermon series a few weeks ago called Advent in the Fullness of Time. And my hope is that you will uh, receive what the Lord has given me in conjunction with what we've been receiving for the past several weeks, and that you will, in fact, not put the Christmas message away. That the decorations might go back in boxes, that the tree might be wrapped and go up in the attic, that that china would go back in some drawer somewhere, but that what Christmas unleashed on us would not go back in the box of our hearts. It can't. Something unbelievable has happened as a result of the advent of Christ. And this is what we're going to visit with today. Christmas has come. And as a result of Christmas coming, something has been opened for us to walk in and to move towards. Um, So our our text this morning is Acts chapter 1. Turn there if you haven't already or turn your phone on and, and go to Acts chapter 1. Let's read this together and then we will pray. Acts chapter 1 begins... In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. 
after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering and many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray together. Father, through your word and through the empowerment of your spirit in us, would you do what only you can do, Father? Would you feed our souls to help us walk into the light that Christ has shown in Christmas? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So at first glance, this may seem like an unusual passage to preach in a sermon series related to Advent. There's no manger scene. There's no wise men. There's no... Uh, camel, there's no Mary and Joseph, there's no star, uh, there's no shepherds. But once you take a closer look, I'm hoping that you would see how this passage makes sense in a series on Advent. How this passage is a natural fit in a sermon series asking us to look to the Advent of Christ. You'll see a connection between the content of this passage with the rest of the Christmas story. And the primary connection has to do with that word that we've been focusing around the past several weeks, that word Advent. The word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus that simply means the coming of or the arrival. And during Christmas season, previous generations of Christians have taken special time and effort to prepare their hearts and minds to worship God for what he did on the first Christmas And that time of preparation, that time of collective thinking and worshiping God and praying and preaching of the word and and focusing ideas on a specific subject, that time historically came to be known as Advent. Brothers and sisters in Christ in the past would reflect deeply and worshipfully on the biblical story of the birth of Christ in the context, and this is important, of the entire Bible. Not just the stories in the New Testament, Matthew and Luke and the birth narratives, but they would place the context of the Christmas story within the entire context of the biblical story. And it's precisely that study that enlivened their hearts to worship and adore Christ as they came to properly understand why he was born. Their awareness of what God had done in Christ deepened as they connected the story of the birth of Christ with God's plan to redeem humanity all the way back through the book of Genesis. So this morning, my prayer is that the same would be true of us this morning, that we would come to a greater understanding of what happened after Christmas, of what happened as Christmas came and what Christmas unleashed for us to live 
in the light of. With the advent of Jesus at Christmas came the advent of the presence of God to his people. If I can get you to remember one thing this Sunday, it would be that. That with the advent of Jesus at Christmas came the advent of the presence of God in the people of God. You begin to see a hint of this in verse 8 of the text we just read. So this is Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power, Jesus says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When we isolate the Christmas story from the complete story of the Bible, we, we're left with a discouraging and disappointing version of Christianity. But when we look at Christmas and we, and we look at it disconnected from other truths in Scripture, disconnected from the narrative that Scripture is presenting, that Christmas is a massively important part of, but, but when we look at it detached from all these things, what we're wind up with is a Christianity that is actually not found in the Bible. And it is discouraging and it is disappointing. The Gospel of Matthew in chapter 1 records the following. This is one of the first announcements in the New Testament of what Christmas means. Matthew 1 verse 23 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means God with us. If you've ever wondered why Jesus is not called Emmanuel throughout the Gospels... Emmanuel serves just like the word Christ. It's a form of title as well. His name was Jesus. Emmanuel would be a title that means God with us. In the same way that Christ is a title that means the Messiah, the anointed one. And so this title that's ascribed on Jesus, this, 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 this category that Jesus is placed under, Emmanuel, God with us, in this text in Matthew, we, we are presented with two clear ideas. That this son who will be conceived will bear this title, and that title means, one, that he is God. That, that the one that this title describes or speaks is spoken of is God. And two, that this is God with us. So the story of Christmas is not only that Jesus is proclaimed to be divine, but he's, a, but he's appearing. He's not just God. He is that God in the flesh. But that God has come to dwell with us. One of the most spectacular truths about the Christmas story is that God did not send humanity a representative to save humanity from their sins. God did not deputize someone from heaven. He did not prepare some angelic being. He didn't even send a well-respected, high-ranking angel to come and help us. The story of Christmas, by the way, those things would have been great and merciful. And we would have praised God nonetheless if he would have done that. But the, the message of Christmas is even greater than that. God himself came down from heaven. Took on the form of a human by, by the name of Jesus Christ. And came to dwell with us. This is what we've been visiting with for the past three weeks. The advent of God. The arrival of God. We've emphasized this idea that God has come. But he has come to dwell with us. This is an emphatic reality, church, that I hope that you take with you this afternoon. You know, it's easy to make sense of the phrase God with us. If you lived in first century Palestine, it's very easy 
If you are, if you live during the biblical times and you're walking around Galilee and you come into contact with the person of Jesus Christ, that phrase, Emmanuel, God with us, that's very easy for you to understand. You can imagine the, the Apostle John, when him, Peter, and James went up into this mountain, and all of a sudden, a blinding light flashed in front of their eyes, and, and, and Jesus was transfigured. He kind of lifted the veil of his humanity to reveal something of his d- d- divinity, and, and their response to that, oh my goodness, he really is God with us. You can imagine Mary Magdalene and some of the women that accompanied Jesus throughout his ministry. And they saw miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. The power to to cast out demons. the, The power to multiply food. The power to tell a storm to be still. So in one sense, God with us was easy for people in the first century to understand. Because Jesus was with them. He was literally, physically with them. This would have been something easy for them to visit as they visibly witnessed miraculous power displayed by Jesus. But I've got a question for you this morning. Is Jesus, is God with us now? Does the fact that Jesus is no longer physically with us mean that God is with us no longer? That can't be right. Of course God is with us. But, do you, hear, do you hear that in the back of your head? Of course God is with us. But, maybe he's with us in a reduced way, right? Maybe God was doing something unique through Jesus and, and certain aspects of God as God was walking in human flesh around the world. So is God with us any less true and real today than it was when Jesus walked the planet? How would you answer those questions? What would you say to the statement, God with us? Is it less true or more true? Is it experientially less true or more true than it was 2,000 years ago as Jesus walked on earth and displayed the visible power of God? Well, if you disconnect and isolate the Christmas story from the rest of the biblical story, the answer has to be yes. If you remove the Christmas story from all the other narrative of the Bible presents, if you just look at the Christmas story and come to conclusions about who God is, what he has done, and what he is going to continue doing, then the answer has to be yes. God is kind of with us now. He's, I mean, he was really with us in Jesus, but now, I don't know. Has anyone seen him lately? Does he have an Instagram handle that you could, you know, look him up and, and kind of see, follow him? So if Jesus is no longer physically with us, is God kind of with us? Is that what we believe about the biblical revelation? And you can see where I'm going. That once you start thinking in that line, the Christianity that you hold dear becomes really discouraging. It, it becomes disappointing. A Christianity with a disconnected Christmas story teaches that God did something unbelievable in sending Christ. And we ought to be super grateful for it, right? But what remains after his departure is, is really only that. It's, it's, it's a cool story, an inspirational story, something that would enliven our hearts, but that maybe, maybe we would have wished to have been born in the first century, to actually have seen God with us, to actually have 
been with God as God was with us. The point is there's something missing. When we disconnect the biblical story of Christmas from the rest of the narrative, something is missing. It's just incomplete. It's not the same. Before getting married, my wife and I, uh, we dated long distance through college. Um, I don't advise this. Um, just four years of dating, um, lo- long distance. And this is before the advent of FaceTime, by the way. So the communication that we, we had was on the phone. We stay up on the, uh, uh, after night for hours and just talk on the phone endlessly talk on the phone. We, we lived in, in that season where cell phones were still being kind of cell phone plans were still being kind of created where you had an allotted number of minutes during the day. But once it got to like 7 p.m., it was like un- unlimited calling, right? So we would, it was 7 p.m. Or, 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 or 9 p.m. And we would wait for that time and then pick up the phone and we would talk, you know, till wee hours of, 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 of the night. And it was, it was a rich time. We got to know each other. We got to, you know, just listen to each other's voice. And, and the relationship to some degree was fostered and built and encouraged. But it was missing something, Right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't replace those phone calls for anything. They were, they were a, a, a lifeline to the relationship, but the relationship was missing something. It was missing the actual person, right? The actual person wasn't there. I was engaging with descriptions of the person, even with a version of the person, but the version of the person I was engaged with was not the person herself. It was this, this distant, veiled, kind of detached form of the person. I was engaging with the person's ideas, even as the very person themselves would describe those ideas. But I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't touch her face. I couldn't hear her voice. I, I, I couldn't, could, there was no, there was no contact. The person wasn't there. This is what we're left with. If we're not careful and we disassociate the Christmas story from the rest of the Bible. Again, we're left with a Christianity that Christ is not present in. And here in this verse in the book of Acts, Jesus is going to make a wildly important statement about God's purpose for his people. About the work of God in the life of his people. About, God, about what God is continuing to do as he communicates his revelation to his people in the book of Acts. So he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit's not a force. He's not a power. He's not some mystic idea. The Holy Spirit is a person. And embedded in this passage is the description of a transition that is going to be taking place. Luke makes reference to this at the beginning of the passage we read in Acts chapter 1 verse 1. Where he recounts the purpose. This is why I wrote the book of Acts. Is basically, As you read the book of Acts. Those first, first four verses. Are Luke telling us. Hey this is why I wrote the book. And he says. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Referencing his first gospel. The gospel of Luke. I talked about what Jesus did when he was on earth. Now until the day when he was taken up. After he had given command. Through the Holy Spirit. To the apostles whom he had chosen. So this is part two of the revelation in the words. But he's, he's transitioning us from the time that Jesus ministered on earth to the time he was taken up to heaven. And if you notice, he's taken up to heaven and the story doesn't end. The, the Bible doesn't close when Jesus is taken up to heaven. The revelation of God does not cease when Jesus is raised from the dead and he goes to heaven. And that's the last book in the Bible that's written. No. There's a whole lot more to the story. And there are important reasons for us to discover. 
The point is, Jesus ministers on earth, he is taken up to heaven, and the last element of that sequence is the Holy Spirit worked to continue something Jesus had been doing. Luke further emphasizes this transition in verse 4 of Acts 1. But this time, through Jesus' own words. Jesus says, and while, Luke says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, quoting Jesus, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So the beginning of the book of Acts, the beginning of this book that's going to unleash how the story continues, begins with the introduction of another one of the key characters of the Bible. Namely, the main character of the Bible. Namely, God himself and the person of the Holy Spirit. So something is going to happen after I leave, Jesus says. Something is going to happen after I leave that is going to have ramifications in your life. That's going to unleash certain realities in your life. The job is not over. The story is not done. This thing continues. And the next stage of this story involves God himself and the person of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, this isn't the only place in the, New, in the New Testament where Jesus says something like this. Earlier in the Gospel of John, speaking to his disciples before he is going to be crucified, Jesus tells them in John 14, verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Who is that helper? The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, but it neither sees him nor knows him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, listen to this, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jump down to verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And he, speaking of the father, will come to him and make our home with him. The birth of Christ launched something. The birth of Christ initiated something. God broke through a, 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 a barrier in the birth of Christ. And it unleashed a flooding of his presence into the life of his people. In these passages, Jesus is introducing us to the reality that the advent of the Son of God, the arrival of Jesus on earth when he was born at Christmas, was the beginning of something glorious. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, what we call the first advent, his coming ushered in the beginning of the reality that God is with us, not the completion of that reality. I'll say that again. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, his advent ushered in the beginning of the reality that God is with us. Not the completion of the reality that God is with us. In other words, Jesus has made it so that the phrase God is with us is something that will only continue to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. Jesus broke through. And his presence, the presence of God, the dwelling of God is a reality that will continue to expand until he returns. And we're going to get there. That's the second point in this sermon, by the way. 
two points. I'm hoping to make this sermon a little shorter than usual. And how was this done? How was this ushering of the presence of God in an expansive form done? It was done by the sending of the Holy Spirit. In some sense, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are like tag teaming. I've never made a reference to wrestling in a sermon. Do I risk making one right now? (laughs) I don't know, but they're tag teaming. I'll leave it at that. Jesus' ministry comes to an end when he ascends, but the work of God in the life of his people is not over. It continues in what the Holy Spirit is going to do. Now, by the way, to be appropriately theological, Jesus' ministry actually continues as well. His work towards us is not done. But the focus on this sermon is what God has done by giving us the Holy Spirit, by coming in the form of the Holy Spirit, by, by, by coming in the person of the Holy Spirit, I should say, and dwelling with us. God is doing something and he's going to continue to do something that has its beginnings all the way back in the book of Genesis. If you want a masterful treatment of this idea, I would encourage you this book. I'm going to quote by now. New Testament scholar G.K. Beale in his book, God Dwells Among Us, is a fascinating read. That surveys this from the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. In the short book, it's about 250 pages. Highly recommend you buy this book and get a biblical theology of the idea of God dwells with us. But he writes, God made us for himself as his images in the garden temple Eden. God's presence gives life and purpose in Eden. And Eden is presented as a sanctuary and place where God dwells. As seen in Genesis 1 and 2 and the wider witness of the Old Testament. So Beal is going to make an argument that the very first temple was actually Eden. That God's presence dwelt. Because God dwells in the temple, right? We learn that from Leviticus, Exodus, Numbers. But the first temple in some sense was Eden. The first priests of God who had access with God were Adam and Eve. That was the intention of God. That people, humanity, his creation would have permanent access to him. Full access to him. Unmitigated, unfiltered access to him. This is what Beale develops in this book. Again, please buy it and read it. But he says, even the seemingly casual mention of God walking in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3.8, is rich with connotation that suggests God's presence in the temple. In Leviticus 26, the Lord promises that he will walk among them and be their God. In Deuteronomy 23, the Lord commands the Israelites to keep their camp holy because he walks in the midst of their camp. When David plans to build a temple in 2 Samuel 7, the Lord reminds him that I have been walking about in a tent, the tabernacle, for my dwelling. In a similar manner, the Lord is walking in Eden, Genesis 3.8, because Eden itself was a temple and the dwelling in place of God. Now do you begin to see just how profoundly important that passage in Matthew we read is. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God has continued and is continuing his work to dwell with his people. From the beginning of the Bible, God intended to dwell among his people, to live with them, to be near them, to bless them as they walked with him in intimacy and fellowship. The great curse that fell on humanity as a result of humanity's sin was not just death. 
It was the severing, the the separation, the infinite distance that God created between the life giver who is God and those that need life, you and me. But from the beginning of the Bible, we can see God work to undo the curse of separation and death by he himself drawing near, drawing near, drawing near, by making his presence known and accessible. It started in Eden. God's presence was fully known by Adam and Eve. And you guys know the story. Genesis chapter 3. Humanity falls through sin, and the barrier is created. Humankind does not have access, nor do they have permission to pursue the presence of God. God banishes Adam and Eve from the garden and literally closes the place up and puts this angelic bouncer at the front gate with a flaming sword. You're not allowed back in, Adam and Eve. You've damned everyone because of what you've done. That's literally the story. Go read it. Genesis chapter 3 and 4. But it's interesting that Genesis chapter 3 and 4 is this thick in my Bible. It's that thick. There's a whole lot after Genesis chapter 3 and 4. Why is that? Because God is pleased With fulfilling his purposes. God purposed to create images. To create people in his own image. To portray his glory to his creation. And his purposes will not be thwarted. He delights in extending himself. His nearness to his people. For their good. And for his glory. And if you read through the book of Genesis. And you may actually do this. If you start a Bible reading plan in January. Which people typically do. You'll bump into some of these things. That the most, I, 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 the most astonishing passage in scripture, in my opinion, that the most jaw-dropping, wild, head-scratching passage in scripture is Genesis chapter 4. God is speaking to Cain and Abel. Why? Why is God approaching humanity after humanity has sinned against him? Why is God drawing near to the people who rejected him? Cain and Abel give offerings to God. Who gave them that access? Who who, who gave Abel the ability to come to to, to God and to receive an offering? Like who, who created that dynamic? God. God is pleased to draw near to his people. And you follow that pattern through Genesis where where God begins to show up in the lives of patriarchs of Abraham and Isaac and Joseph. And and these patriarchs uh, uh, have these little tents that, that they pitch these tents where God shows up in particular places and draws near to them. And this story continues to grow from, from the, the isolated tents with the patriarchs to the tabernacle with Moses. God delights to dwell among a people he's going to call to himself and says, Moses, hey, Moses, I want you to be the dude who goes and gets my people and I will dwell among them. And Amon Sinai, they create this thing called the tabernacle, which is kind of a, a mobile temple where God's presence can be accessed, where God can dwell among his people. You know the storyline. This continues to grow from a tabernacle to a massive temple where God now says, Everyone can come to me in this 
temple that's built by Solomon and David. The story continues. It only gets deeper and, and, and more present. And God's nearness only becomes a greater reality in our midst. Then Jesus Christ comes. The perfect and true temple of God. Because Jesus is God. So God continues to dwell among his people. To reveal himself to his people. But the story doesn't end there. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So from the birth of Christ, God ushers in the entryway of his presence for his people. Christ ascends to heaven and Jesus then sends the spirit to come and not be found in some temple, in some physical location, but to come reside within God's very own people. God has expanded and continued to make his presence available to his people from Genesis. And the apex, the height, the climax of his work has come as a result of the Holy Spirit coming to his people. And this is the great message of Christmas this is what this series has been pointing to, that Advent is a time where we don't just celebrate that Christ came to save sinners, but that God came to dwell with them. And not just to dwell with them, but to dwell in them. The work of God is such that you, as a believer, have been transformed into the literal temple of God. Do you now see why it's important for us to not disconnect Christmas from the rest of the biblical storyline? Christmas is more than a promise, friends. Christmas is a reality. A spiritual reality that the God of heaven has made it so that if you're a believer in Christ, his spirit dwells in you in a fuller way than it dwelled in the temple of Israel. I don't, understand. I, I, I don't get how that works. But this is what the Bible teaches. Now think about how unbelievable this is. Think about some of the ramifications of this, right? So on Tuesdays, we've been studying the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we've been studying the ministry of Jesus, right? So we've been studying what happened immediately after the advent of Christ. So here's Jesus. God dwells with us, literally dwelling in first century Palestine. Walking around, doing miracles, you know, doing the Jesus thing. Here's God in a pair of sandals, just showing up and, and, and just wowing and wooing people all over the place. He's healing people. He's caring for them. He's, he's dwelling. He's, it's uh, unbelievable. But, but here's, here's something we've learned. And we've encountered this as we've studied. People still have to go find him. When Jesus was on earth... If you were in Capernaum or, or Galilee or one of these coastal towns over the, the, the Dead Sea up there, the Sea of Galilee rather, you, you still had to ask your neighbor, hey, have you heard of Jesus is coming? What city is he in? I don't know. Maybe we should go look. So if you're interested in encountering the presence of the living God, you have to go find him. Now, clearly Jesus is better than the temple. I'm not suggesting that, that, that that's you know, a bad thing. 
The point is that even as physically Jesus was on earth, you had limited access to the presence of God because you had to go find him physically. The Holy Spirit has done such a work in the life of God's people that he has promised and secured for us endless and distanceless presence, distantless presence. We have immediate access to God because God now dwells in us. With the advent of Jesus came the guarantee of direct access to God himself because God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And for believers, God, this means that God's presence is available to you right now. What this means is you don't have to go looking for God. If you're a believer, you don't have to go find him anywhere. You don't have to climb a mountain. You don't have to go to a temple. You don't have to eat a weird mushroom that will give you visions. If you're a believer, you don't have to do anything to find God because God has found you. God dwells in you. You have access to the very living God of the universe. There's no space between you and him. In the same way that you have this thing called the will. In the same way you have this thing called the mind. If I were to show you a picture of your body and tell you, where is your, where is your mind? Be careful of pointing at your head. Where's your will? Where is the seat of who you are as a person? You'd probably say, I, I, I don't really know, Ronald. I don't either. But are you any distant from yourself? Like you, you're, you're right next to yourself, right? Like you are in yourself, right? There's no distance between you and you, right? That's what it means for God to dwell in you as a believer. He dwells in you. There's immediate access for you as a believer to the very God of the universe. This should encourage you to pray, friends. We talked about a prayer ministry that's going to be renewed in 2022. And people still have questions. Ronald, sometimes God feels distant. Sometimes I can't hear God. Sometimes I don't know where God is. How how do I engage? If God is is, is inside me, like how do I tap into that, right? Like do do you tap into God in the same way that you tap into motivations to, to do things? Right? Do, do, do you tap into God in the same way that you tap into willpower to, to not eat as much sweets as I did these past two days? I, I couldn't find that willpower anywhere, by the way. What do you do? What do you do to connect yourself with a God that you're already connected with? What, what's the, the tangible thing that you do? And here's where we as Christians just, I don't know what we're looking for. I, I don't know what type of answer we want. But it's a simple reality called prayer. That's it. I hate to disappoint you. There's no Kool-Aid involved. Prayer. Giving your heart over to God. Connects you with the deeper reality of who he is in the moment that you're living with. And, And look, 15 years of pastoral ministry, I've yet to speak one person that has ever said the following. Pastor Ronald, I've been earnestly and eagerly praying to God and he's nowhere to be found. I've yet to have one conversation where that person 
has told me, I've earnestly and eagerly prayed, and God is nowhere to be found. Now, variations of that have been communicated to me. And a conversation and questions have revealed that, in fact, God has been found, but, but God has pointed to some things that maybe the person didn't want pointed out. That, that's typically what winds up happening. Maybe a particular sin gets, gets, gets highlighted or, or, or a, a disappointment because a prayer didn't get answered. But I've yet to encounter, even in my own life, pursuing God and not finding him. Now, to be sure, God may feel distant at times. To be sure, that is a reality that we feel, but he does not distance himself from us. Friends, this is what I'm trying to get you to understand. That God is in you as a believer. There is no distance between you and him. I'm also not shaming you or admonishing you because you lack prayer, because you're praying wrongly. Quite the opposite. I'm trying to encourage you. I'm trying to come at this from another way. What do you look forward to in 2022? What are the list of things that you want a greater experience of? Do you want to lose weight? Do you want to pick up a skill? Do you want to make more money? Do you want to be more present with your family? Where does encountering the God that dwells in me in a greater way in that list? And I'm telling you, you start praying, come talk to me at the end of January. Come talk to me and you'll see that God is faithful to his promise when he said, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. The second thing this means for us as believers is we have access to God where God is to be found. So we have got access to God in the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, but we have access to God in where God has manifested himself much more clearly in the gathered assembly. God is with us here in a way that God is not with us behind that screen. God is with us as a people of God in a way that he is not while you're listening to a podcast, while you're reading a book, while you're engaging with a conversation with somebody over over FaceTime or Zoom. There is something about the material exchange of the people of God talking about the things of God in the presence of the Spirit of God. So do you want to encounter God more in your life? Number one, pray. Number two, Don't stop coming to church. Get around your small group. Connect yourself to where God is working. And he is working where he has said he is going to work. And the people he has called to himself, namely the church. There is absolutely no way, Keith. 43 minutes and I'm only through the first point. There's no way, dude. My goodness gracious. Uh, this leads us to this. So the advent, the first advent of Christ ushered in God coming with us and God beginning the process of dwelling with us in an expansive way. 
But that passage we read made reference to something. Typically, this passage is used to teach on Pentecost or the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and the working of miracle and power and all that type of stuff. And we've got wonderful sermons on those topics that I would encourage you guys to go to our website and go to the sermons tab and Google Day of Pentecost and you'll find some of those sermons. But today, I'm I'm, I'm trying to use this passage to make a connection between the first advent where Christ came and the second advent where he's going to come again. These are not disconnected ideas in the Bible. The first advent, his birth, leads to his second advent, his return. And God is going to accomplish similar things in both, but the second one will be much more pronounced and full. God came in the person of Jesus Christ to begin to reveal his presence to his people. God is going to come again as the reigning king in Christ to usher in fully and completely his presence into his People, You see this in Acts chapter 1 verse 10. I love this passage. Acts chapter 1 verse 10. And while they were gazing into the heaven as he went. These dudes are looking up to heaven as Jesus has floated on some, on some uh, uh, a cloud. And they're probably telling themselves, well, what do we do now? Right? They're just looking up at heaven. Behold, two men, read angels, stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee... Why do you stand looking into heaven? Now, that's a rhetorical question. It's not meant to be answered. Uh, Because he... No. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into earth. Friends, Christmas, the first advent, points to the second advent. God came to dwell with us in Christ. He now dwells in us through his spirit. And in one day soon, he'll return in the way that we will fully dwell with him. We see this most clearly in Revelation chapter 21. Where John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city... New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Thank you, Lord, for that. Kurt, you can come back here, bud. From the beginning, God's eternal plan has been to restore that which he created. From the beginning, God has been working to restore Eden. That wonderful place where humankind had full, unmitigated access to the holy God. And one day, in a sense, Eden will be restored. God will come, restore, and redeem his creation to such an extent that we will have full and immediate access to all of God all the time. This is what Christmas connects us to. The coming of the Son of God again to bring about the fullness of God in full to all his people. I wrote in your outline a diagram. I call it the unfolding stages of God dwelling with his people. 
When I was a kid, we took road trips all the time. I'm from Honduras, but we would come and spend the summer in the States. It's complicated, it's whatever. But we used to drive all over the place. And my, my dad's from that school of dad driving where you, like, you never stop. Uh, so we, we, we had relatives in West Virginia, and, and my dad had this weird trip he'd like to take. We'd go from New Orleans to Orlando, from Orlando to West Virginia. And it was like 17, 18-hour drives, and we'd maybe take two, three pit stops. Uh, it was just brutal. I mean, he was just from that school of, of like dad driving. That's just, it's brutal. Um, and um, I remember the, the, I used to love rest stops and I was always captivated by the big old maps they have um, on the, on the um, rest stops where they show you the map of the state that you're in and, and you, they're not legible at all because they've got all sorts of, you know, cities and places, but there's always this marker that says you are here, right? That, that you are here marker. Right? So this is my attempt of telling you where we are in the plan of God's unfolding with his dwelling to his people. You see it, Eden. That's where things begin. God dwelt with his people in a full way. Then sin came. And everything got destroyed. But again, God, by his grace, continues to undo the work of sin. He does so intense. He begins to give of himself, to reveal himself, to make himself available in limited ways. God's presence was available to people in limited ways, in secluded ways, in small ways. Typically, one person, one patriarch, and, and his close of kin. This continues to grow as God calls an entire nation to himself. A temple is built where now the nations can be blessed as a result of God coming to dwell among a people. Then we have Advent, the birth of Christ. Now God is physically with us. God is with us in the person of Jesus Christ. And then things get really cool, which is where we are now, which is what this sermon has been about. The birth of the age of the church, the Holy Spirit coming and descending on God's people. Where now we are mobile temples. We carry the image and glory of God and the dwelling of God to all of creation. As we mirror him, as we've been made in his image, but we're indwelled by him. We're anticipating that second advent. So this is where we are. We're in the church age. We're in the season where God is, is just one step from making all wrongs right. This has been God's glorious plan. Highlighted for us at Christmas when he became a child, the first advent. And it builds an expectation for us as we await the second advent. When he returns as the great redeemer forever. What do we do with this? This is a nice biblical theology lesson. What do we do with this? How do, how do we reflect on these truths? Let me ask you guys to, to stand with me as we respond. In any conversation around eternity, any conversation about the return of Christ... Any conversation around the topic of God coming back brings us into the reality that this time that we have now is temporal. That the things of this world, as important as they may be, pale in comparison to the reality that awaits us. I've spent an, an unholy amount of time the past four months dealing with an insurance company and a claim related to Hurricane Ida and my roof. Conversations about a roof and money and about a roof and money 
and about a roof and money. And can I suggest to you that that's really important to me? And it is important. This is my house. I mean, I don't want my kids to, to have to be, you know, walking around, you know, shafts of water coming down from the roof because there's a big hole in it. But the amount of attention I've given over to this, how it's invaded my mind, how it's stirred my heart and emotions, how it's unsettled me, how it's made me panic and worry, how fear has taken over my heart. Because something that in a hundred years is not going to be there seems to be so important to me. Eternity gives us purpose and perspective. We have something worth living for because we have something worth waiting for. We can put the things of life in their primary perspective when we look unto heaven and we realize that Jesus Christ will come again. We anticipate the second advent, friends. And as, as we go into 2022... I want to lead us in the time of prayer a prayer team if you guys are here make your way on up god gave me three categories of prayer so praying for 2022 three three categories impressions words that came to mind the word god's nearness came to mind if you're someone who who wants god's nearness who on the top of your list of things for 2022, losing 10 pounds can wait. But God's nearness can't. You, you, you've been craving God's nearness in your life. You've been desiring that God would be a felt reality in your life. The second category is perspective. perspective maybe you've made decisions about 2022 maybe you're trying to make decisions about 2022 maybe you can't make decisions about things you have to make decisions on for 2022 and you're lost and you're confused and you're scared and you're frightened and you're overwhelmed you need perspective maybe you're in a point of life where you're going to make a really important decision about life that may even affect the next 25 years of your life. And you want perspective, biblical perspective, spirit-empowered perspective about what to do. And the final category is faithfulness. The Lord's called some of you to something. The Lord has been calling some of you to something. And you have not been faithful. So would you come and pray? Lord, through your spirit, I believe. Help my unbelief. Let's pray together. Father, we embark into a new year in just a few days. We've made plans, Lord. We have desires. We are curious about what awaits on the other side of 
2021. Some of us are excited. Others of us are afraid. Many of us can't wait. Strangely, others of us would wish 2021 wouldn't stop. But but whatever the conditions of this coming year would bring, would you, O Lord, draw near? Father, would you be with us as people? Would you be with us as a church, Lord? Father, would your presence be our good? Would we find the satisfaction of knowing that the God of the universe dwells here in us and in this people? Lord, would your presence spur us on to holiness? Would zeal for your mission, Lord, overtake us? Lord, would compassion and mercy and goodness and humility, Lord, be fruits that grow in 2022, Father? Lord, we ask for nothing less than the presence of your spirit to be a reality for us. A growing, vibrant, exciting, and exhilarating reality in our midst, Lord. Father, that when we gather, Father, we would... Know that you are with us, Lord. Help us, O Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.